0: Well, today we'll be continuing in our uh, Moved by Grace sermon series that we've been diving into the past month or so. So far up to this point, we have learned or maybe reminded ourselves that all of us, apart from God, are completely lost and hopeless. Uh, There is no amount of good within ourselves that can save us from our depravity. And because of that reality, God made him with who had no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We have been made righteous through God's free gift of grace to us through Jesus Christ. We've also been working our way a little bit through the book um, called The Cure by author John Lynch. And in this story, um, the the book kind of follows the story of a man, and that man represents every single one of us. And we've learned that basically in our Christian walk— we have two paths that we can choose to go down in the way that we pursue God, right? The path of pleasing God or the path of trusting God. We've learned that the path of pleasing God always leads to the room of good intentions. And as Bob shared a few weeks ago, it reduces godliness to a ridiculous formula. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. And in doing so, we ignore the righteousness that is already ours in Christ. We can never resolve our sin by working on it. When we strive to sin less, we don't. Last week, Bob kind of expounded on the man traveling down the road of trusting God. And the road of trusting God always leads to the room of grace. And inside the room of grace, we find this statement. Living out of who God says I am. Living out of who God says I am. And this is a game changer for all of us if we choose to believe it. You see, rather than trying to prove our righteousness to God or to others, people in the room of grace simply choose to believe that they are righteous. They have been made righteous by the work of Christ. They trust that God's free gift is sufficient for their needs, for all their hurts, for all their disappointment. No performance necessary. And the big banner inside the room of grace reads, standing with God, with my sin in front of us, working on it together. You see, there's no us here, God over there, right, as Bob shared. There's no pile of poop representing our sin in the middle, right, separating us. We don't have to clean the mess up. In order to be one with him, God is with us in the midst of our pain, even in our worst moments where we feel unlovable and unworthy. He's with us. He wants us to trust that his grace is enough. We have nothing to prove to him, only to rest in his love. And so I can't think of a better way to kick off my sermon than by talking about Halloween. Maybe like, what? We just celebrate a Valentine's Day. Hang with me. Think back to when you were a little kid and how you'd wear fun costumes. Maybe you had a mask that you just loved to wear to scare people, or you thought it was goofy or funny, whatever it might be. I talked to my mom this past week, and I was like, what? I have a bad memory. I was like, what was I really into? Like, what was a mask that I loved to wear? And she said, I loved the Sesame Street character Big Bird. Any Big Bird fans out there? Okay. So I guess she said this was the mask that I wore, if we have that, this Big Bird mask. So that was what I looked like roaming the streets of Joe Town, trick-or-treating as a little kid, obsessed with Big Bird. And just for kicks, I'd love to hear what were your... Think back when you were little. What were some of your favorite masks to wear on Halloween? It could be a scary one or just a goofy one that you love to mess with people. The floor is open. There's no wrong answer. What was your favorite mask to wear when you were a kid? Michelangelo, okay. A ninja turtle. Nice. Yes. What else? Just shout it out. Tommy the Green Ranger. Tommy the Green Ranger. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. What else? What's that? A Lego. Okay. Anybody like really dark and like into like some creepy masks, like some Freddy Krueger stuff? Randy. Okay. (laughs) I'm sure you're not alone. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Good, good, good. You know, it's it's fun to wear masks when we're little kids, right? It's a lot of fun. We wear masks when we're kids, but if we're honest— eventually, we want them to know who we are, right? If we go to our friends' or family members' houses and we scare them or fool them or whatever, like, as fun as that is, we eventually want them to know who it was that tricked them so we can kind of feel cool or feel good about ourselves or think that we're sneaky. But what about us as adults? We're pretty good at wearing a mask too, aren't we? We are professionals, at putting on a front in our relationships. And the troubling thing is, as adults, we actually become the mask. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, the man in the story from the cure that we've been looking at has been spending some time in the room of grace. And for the first time in his life, he's free. He feels free. He can be honest He can be real. He can be vulnerable with the good and the bad, all his hurt and pain, without fear of judgment. He's trusting that God's grace is sufficient, and he doesn't have to work hard or prove himself to anyone. And then something happens to him that happens often to every single one of us. We start our day, we wake up, and it doesn't take long for something to rattle our sense of identity, right? Maybe it's a comment someone makes that just cuts us deeply, that stings. Perhaps we get into it, we get into a fight with our son or daughter at the breakfast table. The thought pops into our head, you're always ruining it with her. Why can't you guys just get along? If you start playing those thoughts out, right, within five minutes, your day will be tanked. Before it even began, right, before you even left your own house, your day will be tanked. Maybe you encounter someone that doesn't know the real you. They only know the mask that you've been wearing. They don't know your true self. And because they don't know your true self, they don't really know how to love you. They don't know how to specifically care for your heart. How can you deeply love someone that you don't really know when they're putting on a front, when they're pretending? And so we put the mask back on, or maybe we just, excuse me, maybe we just tighten it up a little bit so that it'll be closer to our face, because we're afraid to let others see who we really are, what's really going on. If they saw the hurt, the pain, if they saw how fragile we were, if they knew what we had done, then we fear that they won't accept us. And so we keep the mask on, because after all, it's all that most of us know anymore. So the question that we must wrestle with is this. Why do we wear a mask? Why do you wear a mask? Why are we so tempted to show others the person that we think they want to see? That is something really fascinating to think about. What's at the root of this mask wearing? Before we dive into scripture, I want to show you this quote from the book, The Cure by John Lynch. He said, I will, each of us will, be tempted to return to my mask each time I lose the confidence of my new identity, daring to trust who Christ says I am, who he says he is in me, even when I feel I least deserve it and the old shame sweeps over me. This is the only way to keep the mask off. We're tempted to put the mask on when we lose confidence of our new identity in Christ. When we struggle to trust that Christ's work in our life is sufficient, that's when the mask becomes so appealing to us. And it's a daily choice to not wear the mask, right? To not put on a front, to hide all our hurt. It's not like we make this decision, I'm just going to live out of my new identity and I'm going to be good for the next 40 years. It doesn't work that way. We have to remind ourselves of who we were before coming to Christ and who we are now as his children, right? Chosen, forgiven, beloved, and adopted into his family. So let's open our Bibles now. We're going to remind ourselves of what our identity is and who God says we are. Open to Psalm 139. It's page 569, I believe, if you're using a pew Bible. Psalm 139 uh, starting in verse 1. It says, "You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely." Skip down to uh, verse 13. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. See, this passage paints a beautiful picture of how God views us. He knew us before we were born. He knows every thought, every motive, every intention of our heart. And he's watching us. But he's not watching us like Santa Claus, right? Like Bob talked about a few weeks ago. He's not making a list, checking it twice, seeing if we've been good or bad, naughty or nice. He's not watching us like that at all. He's watching us because he's enamored with us. He is infatuated with us. He is infatuated with you. He knows everything about us, even all the junk that we try to hide, and he still chooses to love us. He even likes us. He enjoys our company. He enjoys our presence. He loves seeing us live out our passions and enjoying this life that he's blessed us with. For those of you that have kids, maybe you've had those moments. I did this earlier this week. Maybe you've had those moments where you've kind of sat back and just watched your little kid or your children play together. And all you could do was smile. Any parent relate to that? All you could do was smile because you were just so Five parents love their kids that deeply. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Liars. You are just overwhelmed with love for them, right? Your heart just bursts for them. And that is how God views us. Except his love for us is a thousand times deeper, a thousand times greater than the love that we have for our own children. We can't even properly fathom it. Check out what this verse, Psalm 34, 5, has to say. This is just money. Those who look to him, Jesus, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Those of us who have staked our lives to Christ have been made new. We've been given a new heart, a new mind, right? The old has passed. All things are new. Our past, our sin, our guilt, our shame, it does not define us. Our faces shine with the glory of God. That is who we are, whether we choose to believe it or not. That is what's true of us. But when we allow shame to have a grip in our heart and in our mind, we will start to doubt the radiance of God in us. And then our doubting will lead us to putting on the old mask again that we're so familiar wearing And masks can take many different shapes and forms, right? There's numerous. There's countless masks that we can wear. Some of us wear masks that try to convince others that we're doing just fine. Just fine masks. We've experienced so much hurt in life. Maybe we're just disillusioned to our suffering. Perhaps we're just disappointed that life hasn't turned out to be what we dreamed it would be. And so we wear the just fine mask to cover up our pain. Some of us wear the pedigreed mask. People that wear the pedigree mask, for the most part, believe that they kind of got it figured out. They know how life works. They can't quite understand why other people's lives seem to be so messy. They put on the mask of having a family that's well put together with minimal difficulties. Pedigree mask wearers don't feel that they need much help in life. In fact, if they were honest, they feel that they are the help that a lot of people need. If others would just listen to their wisdom and advice. And for most of my life, I've been wearing the just fine mask. That will be the category that I fall under. I didn't want people to see my hurt or disappointments in life, and so it was easier just to cover them up, to conceal them. And to be honest... At various times in my life where I tried to take my mask off and be honest with people, it wasn't uncommon for me to be shut down or just dismissed or be told to stop it, stop doing that, stop thinking that. And those responses led me to shame. They led me to intense shame. I remember I used to have, not anymore, but I used to have this image of Jesus. And this is messed up. Standing, like, in a corner in my room or in my bedroom, just watching me, and his face was just full of disgust and disappointment because of my sin. And guys, that is the exact opposite of how Jesus views us, okay? That is the exact opposite of the gospel. That is a twisted view that I used to struggle with when I would allow myself to be overwhelmed with shame. Shame is lethal, okay? It will suck the life out of you, and it will kill you if you let it, if you allow it to do so. I want to show you guys a powerful illustration that kind of uh, connects the shame and mask wearing. If you, if you did the Mind of Christ class, which a good chunk of you did, um, this is um, The Scary Close Circle by author Donald Miller. I reworded a few things to kind of better fit our purpose, but this is good stuff. So let me kind of walk you through what this is and... Feel free to take a photo of it if you want. So the middle circle is kind of your heart, if you will. It's your true self. It's who you are in Christ. Everything that he says is true of you. Chosen, forgiven, beloved, adopted into his family. You are radiant. That's who you really are if you've staked your life to Christ. And then outside of that circle, we have shame. All of us have it. To some degree, or another. All of us have suffered emotional wounds in our lives. Those wounds make us afraid of being hurt again, and so we're tempted to pull away from the authentic relationships that we should be diving into because we know what hurt and pain feels like, and we'd like to avoid that again, if at all possible. And because we don't want to reveal our pain, we put on our persona. Our persona is our mask. Our mask is our persona. Instead of meaningful heart-to-heart conversations, we're just trying to make people laugh, maybe impress them with our jokes, impress them with our knowledge of sports statistics or science or whatever it might be. Our persona, our mask, it's who we feel comfortable showing to others. It allows us to keep others at a distance from our true self with all the hurt pain and shame that we might feel. What's your persona? Think about that. What's your persona? What's the mask that you tend to wear to cover up your shame, to cover up your wounds? The mask that we wear keeps us from trusting God. We can't fully give ourselves to someone when we're not honest with who. We really are. And speaking from the perspective of God, this is really good. John Lynch said, he's saying to us like, God, I want you to trust me and learn to let other people love you with all your stuff, with all your junk, because it will free you to love like crazy, because you will have experienced being loved. And guys, the heart of the matter is this. It's not simply about making a decision to not wear a mask, right? Can't just say, oh, I'm going to throw the mask in the trash, and I'm good. We have to get to the root of why we keep running back to those masks in the first place, okay? Why we wear the mask has to be confronted. And so that's a question I want to ask you guys to get some honest feedback. So here we go, some crowd participation, why do you wear the mask that you've been wearing? Maybe you fall into one of those categories a pedigreed mask, a just fine mask. Maybe you have a totally different one. Why do you wear the mask that you've been wearing? Why do you wear a mask here to church that communicates to others that you're doing just fine when you are not fine at all? Who would be so vulnerable to share? So you're talking about yourself. Don't say, oh, well, when I look around, I see people. You are talking about yourself and the mask that you wear. Why do you think you tend to wear the mask that you do? The floor's open. Oh wow! Okay, quick. Okay, yep. She said it covers up her parts inside that she's embarrassed about. Good, that was fast. Any who else? <laughs> oh my gosh! Trevor's <laughs> like good. Okay. Yeah, he yeah, where's the mask cuz he's yeah, because he, you know, he can't take care of everything. What was that? You can't put your fingers in all the holes of the dam. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Good. What else? I don't know if you this, but you check this out. <laughs> I'm checking know it. Who I think I am. So I get to tell you who I think I am and then the lie. Mm, okay. Yep. 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 He's saying, "Yeah." He's saying the mass is kind of a def- definitely a defense mechanism, self-protecting, which we're actually going to get into that in a minute. Good. The mass that we wear. Thank you, guys. For man, this part of the room is engaged. Thank you. Everybody else needs to be with Jesus. (laughs) The masks that we wear are a symptom of a wounded heart concealing itself in shame. The reason we wear a mask is because we are striving to receive love from something or someone other than God. And here's the heartbreaking reality this is tough to swallow. When I wear the mask, when you wear a mask, only the mask gets loved. When you wear a mask, only the mask gets loved. Conversations are superficial. They're guarded. They're fake. When we don't live as our true selves, then it's impossible to be fully loved by others. And we also can't fully love others when we're wearing a mask. Even if the mask that we put on is friendly and attractive, and most people seem to like it. They seem to like the persona that we put on. It's still not the real you. It's just a persona that you believe is most accepted by others. All of us desire to be fully known and fully loved by God and others. And it cannot happen when we're wearing a mask. And guys, this desire to be put together is deeply rooted in us. Imagine this story. Say it's a Saturday afternoon. You're chilling at home with your family and kids. You get a random phone call from an old friend from high school that lives in L.A., okay? She says, hey, I'm in town. We're actually 15 minutes from your house. Can we swing by real quick? We'd love to visit you and the family. You haven't seen her for four years. You can't say no, right? Sure, that'd be great. When you hang that phone up, it's business time, right? (laughs) You, dishes. You, basement. You, bathroom. Sound the alarm. We got to make this dump look presentable, right? (laughs) Anybody been through something like that? At some point in your life, yeah, it's game on. No, Stacy, no, never, never. It's game on, right? We've got to be presentable. And guys, there is nothing wrong with wanting a clean house. Hear me out. I like a clean house. we are got, we got crap everywhere with my kids. I'm just like, can we just toss all this? Just bring a dump truck in sometimes. There's nothing wrong with wanting a clean house. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be presentable. Surely, there are times where, like a job interview, that's probably not the place to dump all your shame from the past 40 years, right? (laughs) They might think you're nuts. You might not get that job. Of course, we don't need to spill our junk to every human being that we encounter, right? That's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. We are so prone to put our good in front of others while hiding the junk, the stuff that's ugly, if you will, our anger. Our lust, our greed, our pride, our bitterness, fill in the blank. That stuff is messy, and we don't want others to see it. Why? Where does that come from? For some, maybe it's a, just a fear of judgment, and the idea of a person or a family judging you just would crush you. Maybe it's because our desire to please people outweighs our confidence in our new identity. And so we'll do anything imaginable to prove ourselves to others. And it can all basically be traced back to shame. Okay? You see, there's sin and then there's shame. And they're not really the same. Okay? Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Right? They ate fruit that God commanded them to never eat from. And as a response of their sin, they felt shame. Scripture says that they were naked and they started to cover themselves up. They put a mask on. They put a mask on and they started to hide from God. Shame tells us that we're not good enough or that we better not let other people find out what's really going on in here, what's going on in our family. Shame says, you know, man, you've been a Christian for a long time. You should be over that sin by now. You should have this figured out. That's kind of a sin that beginners struggle with. You never add up. Shame says you don't measure up to God or people. So keep grinding. Keep striving hard. Satan loves to shame us. Remember last month I said his name literally means accuser. He is the accuser. He is the master finger pointer. And he will remind you of every fault, every flaw you have if you Let him. And we start to believe these thoughts of shame when we forget who we are. When we forget who Christ says we are, that we're forgiven, that we're beloved, that our faces are radiant. And they're never covered in shame. But when we fail to believe that truth, we turn to trusting our performance. Like Bob talked about a few weeks ago, right? If I just try harder, if I do X, Y, Z, then I'll measure up. And when we're on the performance road, guys, the mask always becomes necessary. It's always necessary. When we start living as though we have to perform to be loved, what's really going on is that at the core, we believe that something is inherently wrong with us. We're not quite good enough. At least that's what many of us are tempted to think. And you see, this effort, this road to performance is really appealing to us, perhaps maybe especially in our culture, because there's a baby crawling. That's awesome. (laughs) Hi. Um, For the most part, not all the time, we can get what we want if we are willing to work hard enough, right? I mean, if you're willing to put in the hours and sacrifice, you can probably land that job. Got a good shot. You can get that promotion within reason, right? We can clean ourselves up enough enough and, you know, impress with our words and land the girl or maybe get the guy. Maybe not all the time. Sometimes we shoot way too high, right? She's like, whew, way out of your league, buddy. But for the most part, if we try, we can clean up and at least get a date. (laughs) If you are an athletic, right, you're an athlete, If you work your butt off, man, I mean, you can succeed if you're willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears for the most part, okay? But our striving has no place in our relationship with God. And this is really hard for us to accept. It's actually a slap in his face to think that we need to prove ourselves to him as being worthy of being loved. It's basically believing that Christ's work on the cross was not sufficient. It's a slap in his face. Choosing to daily live in the room of grace where we can be honest with the good and the ugly parts of our hearts. This will not be easy, okay? It is a daily choice that will be difficult. We will always be tempted to play it safe, to act like we're just fine, because we're afraid to maybe burden or bug people with our stuff. With our junk. But here's the truth. Once we begin to press into God's heart. And we are able to see Jesus' face more clearly. He starts to peel away the mask. Little by little. So that he can see our faces. Because he knows what our faces really are. They're radiant. They're beautiful. They shine. We were made in his image. He wants to see his reflection in all of us. Check out this powerful statement. This is the last quote we'll be sharing. It says, This life in Christ is not about what I can do to make myself worthy of his acceptance, but about daily trusting what he has done to make me worthy of his acceptance. Are you daily trusting what God has done in you to make you worthy of his acceptance? Or is there still something in you where you feel you have to keep striving, you got to keep trying to earn his approval, to earn the approval of others. What masks have you worn to cover up your hurt and shame? What mask might you be wearing today, right here in church, sitting in this pew? What mask might you be wearing today? And more importantly, why? Why do you think you're wearing that mask Is there unresolved hurt or sin that you've avoided addressing that keeps you from revealing your true self to others? Do you believe God when he says your face is radiant, it shines, it is never covered in shame? And guys, I I cannot emphasize enough the role of community, okay? Christian community in this idea of, of living with our masks off, okay? We all need Christian brothers and sisters who are willing to call us out and give us permission to take our mask off, right? Hey, I, I see that you're not being fully honest, okay? It seems obvious to me that you're hiding something. I give you permission. Take the mask off. Let's be real, okay? We can't really get to the root of anything if you're not going to tell me what's going on. There's no judgment here. This is a safe place. Let's take the mask off. We all need to be willing to say that and receive it when we're doing it, right? Right? We need to be willing to call people out when we see them putting their guard up, right? When they start self-protecting. We need to be willing to receive that as well. We need Christian and brothers and sisters with us in this journey of being authentic because it cannot be done in isolation. So in closing, I'm just going to ask you this. What would it look like for you to remind yourself every day that you're free to drop the mask? Because your face shines with the glory of Jesus Christ. What would it look like for you to remind yourself every day that you're free to drop the mask? Because your face shines with the glory of Jesus Christ. You are made in his image. He wants others to see his image through you. Will you let him shine through you and show the world your radiant face? Let's pray together.